This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. I'm frequently asked if I have a favorite saint. However, perhaps the question might be better phrased if I were asked if there were any saints toward whom I felt closer. And the answer to that would certainly have to be a definite yes. And I suppose pretty near the top of the list would be St. Pio of Pietrocina, better known simply as Padre Pio. With a broad brush stroke of his charisms, we would have a list that would include the gifts of bilocation, being in two different places at the same time, the aroma of sanctity, which would be akin to the fragrance of roses, the ability to read souls, the gift of healing, plus living with the stigmata, the five bleeding wounds of Christ, which he endured for fifty years, as well as a number of other blessings. And today in this 21st century, he is known, respected, and loved worldwide, which is pretty remarkable when we consider that he spent the greater part of his life living in a tiny village on the top of a mountain on the spur of the boot of Italy. And to think he never wrote a book, never appeared on television, or on the radio, or in a movie, never made guest appearances or gave interviews. Hated having his picture taken, but his fame was not something he sought, but was earned by the way he lived his life to serve God. And he was respected throughout the world. For example, during the Second Vatican Council, one of the priests attending the council from another country outside of Italy had an acquaintance who was to undergo life-threatening surgery for widespread cancer. She was a survivor of the Holocaust, married with four children. So this priest sent a message to Padre Pio in which he said, Venerable Father, I ask that you pray for this mother of four. Through you, may God extend his mercy in the presence of the most blessed Virgin Mary. Well, he received a reply that Padre Pio would indeed remember her in his prayers. And the day of the operation arrived, and later the priest called the woman's husband to check on her condition and was told, you will never believe what happened. As the doctors were preparing her for surgery, they examined her and could not find any trace of the cancer that had threatened her life. So there was no surgery, and she was released from the hospital. Well, the priest hastened off another note to Padre Pio in which he said, Venerable Father, thanks be to God, and also to you, Venerable Father, I give the greatest thanks in the name of the husband and all the family. And it was signed, Carol Wotia, who many years later in 2002 would be known as Pope John Paul II and would canonize Padre Pio as a saint. When he was beatified several years earlier, the Pope said he had Jesus in his mind, Jesus in his eyes, Jesus in his ears, Jesus on his lips, and Jesus in his heart. Pretty impressive comments from a Pope. But perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself as usual, and best I start at the beginning. 
Padre Pio was the second of five children, born to Maria and Grazio Forgioni on the 25th of May in 1887 in the small Italian village of Pietrocina. While the family was very poor, and, as Padre Pio would later say, we never had two cents to rub together, yet we never seemed to want for anything. The faith and the love of God was all important to the Forgione family. At the age of five, young Francisco started having visions, both angelic and diabolical, and would later say that he never mentioned them, assuming that everyone experienced them. And as time would pass, young Francisco started making his own sacrifices, such as using a stone for a pillow at night. Feeling that he was being called to the religious life, he had a dramatic vision, and when he would speak of that vision, he would refer to himself in the third person, because he would never try to do or say anything to make himself seem important. In this vision, which took place in 1902, he would speak of this man of unmistakable beauty, dressed in white and resplendent like the sun who appeared to the young man. There were two groups, one with men all dressed in white, appearing majestic, and the others dark and threatening. And the young man was told, Come with me, for you must fight like a warrior. You must fight the monsters. You cannot escape this. I will be here to help you. Well, helped by the one resplendent in white, Francisco won the battle, and a crown was placed on his head, and he was told, Another crown more beautiful than this will be yours if you learn to fight this creature. Well, that battle would be repeated in real life, perhaps a thousand times over his life. Now, seminaries were poor at that time, and those entering were expected to pay a meager amount for their expenses, and, and since the Forgiones were poor, Grazio emigrated to Brooklyn in the United States, where he could earn more money for both the family and Francisco's seminary costs, and he would send the money home. Well, at the age of 15, Francisco entered the seminary and became Fra Pio, or Brother Pio. Once during his time in the seminary, when his family visited him, they were shocked at how emaciated he looked, but were told by one of his teachers, he will be much better when he learns to temper his mortifications. Fra Pio kept a journal, and in that journal, dated the 18th of January of 1905, was perhaps the first record of his bilocation. He wrote that he was in church about 11 p.m., and then suddenly found himself in a house far away where a man was dying, just as his young daughter was being born and the Most Holy Mother of God appeared to Fra Pio, saying, I entrust this creature to you. She is a precious jewel as yet unpolished. Make her as brilliant as possible, because one day I wish to adorn myself with her. 
Fra Pio questioned how he could possibly help when he wasn't sure that he would ever be ordained a priest, and he was told, Do not doubt, and you will meet her in St. Peter's, and then the image vanished, and he found himself again in the church. Well, fast forward 17 or 18 years, he was now ordained, and the young girl had moved to Rome with her mother and sisters, but had developed some serious doubts or questions about the faith, and had gone to St. Peter's Basilica to go to confession and talk to a priest about her concerns. But since it was late in the day, the confessionals were empty, and the custodian told her there was no priest available, and then he went about his business. However, shortly, a brown-robed capuchin soon appeared and offered to hear her confession. He answered all of her questions and concerns, and she felt immediately better. She left the confessional, and and when the custodian returned, she mentioned being able to go to confession and that she was waiting to thank the priest. The custodian looked puzzled, and then he opened the confessional door, and there was no priest there. Well, perhaps a year or so later, the same girl's mother took her to San Giovanni Rotondo to see this Padre Pio they had heard so much about. The girl was even able to meet him, and when she did, he said, So we meet again. She was very puzzled, and then he asked her if she remembered going to confession in St. Peter's, where she had discussed some doubts. As she nodded, he answered, I first met you there and answered your questions, and I was that priest. Well, he became her lifelong confessor and advisor. She even asked if she should become a nun, but he told her that that was not what heaven wished. And over the years, true to his promise, he nurtured her spiritually until the day he told her, This is your last confession to me. I am leaving, and he died a short time later. Although obviously not present in his room at the time of his death, she described everything that took place down to the most minute detail, which prompted Padre Alessio Parenti to say that somehow, at least spiritually, you were there. Well, the war clouds of World War I engulfed much of Europe, and the now young Padre Pio was drafted into military service, but his fragile health kept having him return to civilian life, and his superiors sent him back to Pietrocina to recover. His father, Horatio, in addition to sending money for the seminary, also was able to buy more acreage to farm and he returned from the United States, and on this new land was a cave in which Padre Pio would live and provide spiritual guidance to the area residents. He was referred by the citizensry as the holy man of Pietrocina. And now his superiors, too, were worried about his health and decided perhaps that the fresh air of the monastery in the Gargano Mountains at San Giovanni Rotondo would either cure him or kill him, 
and so that became his new destination and a place where he would remain without leaving for 50 years. And then on the 20th of September in 1918, he was kneeling alone in the choir loft of the small chapel in front of a crucifix of the suffering Christ enduring his passion. And as he knelt there, he asked the Lord to allow him to share in his suffering and that he might live his life in a way that would save souls. As he was kneeling, five rays of luminous light radiated from the wounds of the crucified Christ, penetrating Padre Pio's hands, his feet, and, and his side. The pain was so great, but the joy so overwhelming that he collapsed and fell to the floor, bleeding profusely. He had received the stigmata, the visible bleeding wounds of Christ, and from those very wounds he would shed up to a cup of blood a day for the rest of his life. He would be the first priest to receive the stigmata. Well, he made his way back to his room and attempted to hide the wounds, but as you could imagine, that was impossible, impossible to conceal what had happened. His superiors at the monastery notified the superior general of the Capuchin order, who in turn notified Rome. Then every effort was made to keep it a secret, but of course this didn't happen. However, his superiors ordered the wounds to be examined medically, and for the next 15 months, he was subjected to one examination after another, and no scientific or medical explanation could define what had happened. Padre Alessio Parenti, one of Padre Pio's biographers, said you could see through the wound in his hands. Interestingly, the wound in his side was crescent-shaped, as though it had been made by a lance. In addition to the indignities he suffered, his wounds were sometimes sealed in bandages to make certain they were not self-inflicted. After one examination, a doctor noticed that there was often the sweet smell of roses emanating from the blood of the stigmata. This became a common occurrence, and later he was ordered to no longer show the wounds in his hands or other marks of the stigmata. He was ordered to wear fingerless mittens to conceal the wounds in his hands, taking the gloves off only during the consecration at Holy Mass. In 1925, he developed a severe hernia which required surgery, and he questioned his doctors if they would be examining his stigmata during the operation and was told that they would. Well, faithful to his orders, he refused to be put to sleep during the surgery. However, it was so painful he passed out during the operations and the doctors again examined his stigmata. Padre Pio's days were long. He arose early in the morning, perhaps around 2.30, and his daily mass started at 4.30 a.m. And as you would expect, it didn't take long before the masses at the, and the chapel would be, would be filled to capacity with people often, often having to wait outside. 
After Mass, he would usually spend up to 15 or 16 hours a day in the confessional. It was not uncommon for him to to remind penitents of sins that they had forgotten. He would say, what about the time you did so-and-so? And then, too, he would sometimes refuse absolution because he said the individual was not truly sorry for his sins and were preparing to commit them again. About these, he would say, if you only knew what it cost me to refuse absolution. Now, there were those who were either jealous or suspicious and made many false accusations against Padre Pio, and consequently for a period of time, he was not allowed to say Mass in public. But over time, all the accusations were proven false and he was again allowed to say Mass, and the crowds became even larger. People reported that his Masses made those present feel that that they were at Calvary. It was his spiritual nourishment that gave him his strength because he ate very little food during the day. In fact, people were constantly amazed how little food he actually consumed. Someone once asked him if the stigmata hurt, and he replied by asking if they thought the good Lord gave him the stigmata for decoration. The pain was always with him, especially in his feet when walking. Once before he became Pope, John Paul II, Father Carol Wotia spent several days in San Giovanni Rotondo and, and asked which one of the stigmatas was the most painful. And Padre Pio replied, The invisible stigmata in my shoulder where Christ carried the cross after the scourging. In almost every photo, Padre Pio can be seen with a rosary in his hand. And one day his superior asked him how many rosaries he had prayed that day. And he replied, Reverend Father, since you ask me, I must tell you that I have prayed 34 rosaries today. What he accomplished during his life was most amazing. There was little in the way of health care in the area, and he established a hospital called the House for the Relief of Suffering, which today is one of the best medical facilities in all of Europe. He also started facilities for children, the handicapped, and a home for retired religious. Well, because of the huge crowds coming to San Giovanni Rotondo, a new and much larger church was built onto the monastery proper and opened in 1959 with the final completion scheduled for the next decade. Padre Pio said that it would not be completed until after his death. Indeed, he died shortly after it was completed. There was a young American named Bill Martin from Brooklyn who was attracted by Padre Pio and went to San Giovanni Rotondo and eventually became a brother, and then a priest after Padre Pio's death, Padre Giuseppe Pio. I had the pleasure of speaking with him during one of my visits in San Giovanni Rotondo, and I asked him, what do you remember most 
about Padre Pio, and he said, his absolute humility. And someday, someday, he said he will be a very great saint. Of course, that was before he was canonized. One day they were both sitting in the courtyard, and he was wondering how he ever got to San San Giovanni Rotondo in the first place. He was wondering mentally, did Padre Pio send for him, or was it the Virgin Mary? Well, Padre Pio, sitting on the other side of the room, didn't say anything, and Bill got up to leave, and as he started to leave, Padre Pio said, Bill, it was the Virgin Mary. But perhaps when everything is said and done, Padre Pio is most remembered for the untold number of miraculous events connected with his life. Unfortunately, the clock on the wall will only allow me to relate just a couple. During World War II, Padre Pio said that San Giovanni Rotondo would never be bombed. However, during World War II, it was on the hit list by American bombers because of its strategic location high in the mountains, and it became a target one day. And this plane, laden with bombs, was approaching the city. And the pilot saw what appeared to be a brown-robed monk in front of the high-flying plane with, with his arms outstretched in the form of a cross. The pilot was so unnerved that he aborted the flight and dropped the bombs in an empty field. Sometimes later, the same pilot, a Protestant, was visiting San Giovanni Rotondo and met Padre Pio, who asked the man about the monk he saw on the air that day and admitted that he was that monk. There was also Monsignor Damiani from South America who had a heart attack while visiting San Giovanni Rotondo and and asked Padre Pio to assist him at the hour of his death, and Padre Pio agreed. After the Monsignor recovered and returned to his native Uruguay, there was a silver jubilee for one of the religious of the area, and during this particular night there was a knock at the door on one of the bishop's rooms saying that Father Damiani was dying. Father Damiani's last message was, Padre Pio came. But I also like the story of Giovanni Savino, who was a laborer charged with setting explosives in a nearby quarry, and who went to Mass and Communion every morning before going to work. And this one morning he kissed Padre Pio's hands as he was leaving the church, and Padre Pio said to him, Don't worry. Well, that morning, a blast of dynamite exploded prematurely, completely blowing away his left eye and and filling the worker's right eye with all types of debris and splinters from the rocks, with, with the doctors holding out little hope for his sight. Several weeks later, Padre Pio visited him in a dream, where he smilingly slapped him lightly on the left cheek near the empty eye socket. And when he awoke, he could see out of the socket in which there was no eyeball. Not too much later, Padre Pio visited him in the hospital, and he told Padre Pio about the dream. 
Padre Pio smiled and slapped him gently near his debris-filled right eye, and the sight was restored there. The doctors were amazed that he now could see perfectly from both eyes and didn't even require glasses. And there was a great gathering in September of 1968 commemorating the 50th anniversary of his stigmata, and Padre Pio died 15 hours after the new church was completed, as he had predicted. Well, there are books, journals, and a plethora of stories from physicians giving professional testimony of cures that could only be described as miraculous. For example, on January 20th in 2000, a seven-year-old boy went into a coma from a myriad of problems, including kidney, liver, and heart failure. In fact, his heart stopped and the physicians were ready to declare him dead when one of the doctors said, Padre Pio will have to help us. The heart was restarted with adrenaline, but he remained in a coma with life held by just a thread. Padre Pio had once told Brother Modestino that he would one day try to answer one of his prayers. So the brother gathered the child's mother and others from Our Lady of the Angels Monastery and prayed that this little boy's recovery would be the needed miracle for his canonization. The following morning, the boy awoke and said, I want Padre Pio. He said that while he was asleep, Padre Pio was with him, as well as angels and a very bright light, and was told not to worry, he would get well. Well, the physician swore the recovery was instantaneous, permanent, and it was the miracle that propelled him to sainthood. He was canonized on the 16th of June, 2002, and time has, as usual, allowed me to just barely scratch the surface of this great saint. Padre Pio, you see, is a saint for our times and for us. And let us not forget, he is only a prayer away. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.